Hi, this is Cindy from Mistresses Murder, and I am going to tell you about the Ditkus murders. On July 24, 2006, 26-year-old China Ditkus and her 10-year-old stepson Blake were found brutally murdered in their brand new family home in Franklin, Indiana. This shocking double homicide occurred during daylight hours in what is widely considered a safe area. 17 years later in the case is still unsolved. Despite active efforts involving the Franklin County Police Department, Indiana State Police, and the FBI, this is Mistresses of Murder, and you are listening to the story of the Ditkus murders. China Lynn Anderson was born on January 22, 1980 in Waukegan, Illinois. Raised by her mother and her grandmother, she was close to her family. After high school, China studied nursing at Marion College. After a couple of semesters, she switched her major from nursing to marketing. That's a strange flex, but okay. Um, I'm a marketer and nursing would just fry my brain, so maybe that's why she did it. While still in college, China was introduced to one of her mother's co-workers, Sean Ditkus. They worked together in SK Corporation, a manufacturing company. Blake was a Marine and a divorcee. He had previously been married to a woman named Christina with whom he had a son. Blake Ditkus. The divorce had been somewhat messy. Blake was struggling with alcohol abuse at the time. No, not Blake. Oh. Sean was struggling with alcohol abuse at the time, I'm so sorry, and had been charged with drunken and disorderly. Christina even took out a restraining order on him temporarily, but later rescinded, rescinded the order. After the divorce was finalized, Sean seemed to regain his equilibrium. He and Christina developed a harmonious co-parenting relationship, even arranging to live just a few miles apart so they could be active in Blake's life. When Sean and China met, the two fell in love almost immediately. Sean said he was amazed by China and that he never imagined he could be as happy as he was while he was with her. China felt the same about Sean and embraced Blake as though he were her own son. Christina liked China, even, and the three adults worked well together. You don't see that very often. China and Sean got married and began to build their life together. Sean became a supervisor in SK Corporation, and China took on the role of a stay-at-home mom and a homemaker. With both Sean and China taking night courses at the Indiana Westland University, and Blake... Blake was happy, he was fun-loving, he was 10-year-old boy obsessed with video games and roller coasters, like a lot of 10-year-old boys are. The summer, the couple purchased their first family home and enrolled, ba- bro- and enrolled Blake in Needham Elementary School. The house was in a newly constructed development in Franklin's Bannington Woods neighborhood. The neighborhood was so new, in fact, that the Ditkus house was among the first sold. Many of the neighboring houses, including the houses across from theirs and two on either side of their house, were still empty. A growing neighborhood for a growing family. This is... This was the home where they planned to live through Blake's teen years and where they hoped to welcome his second child. Sadly, tragedy struck within a month of the family's arrival at Bannington Woods. On July 24, 2016, 
2006, the Ditkas family was settling into their new routine. Sean went to work that morning as usual, commuting conveniently a short five minutes, and around 11.30, China called a neighbor to discuss concerns over the water bill. And around 12.30, Sean returned home to eat lunch with China and Blake. This was a nice perk of living so close to work. He was only five minutes away. Then around 1.30, China called Christina, Blake's mom, to come pick up Blake, who was scheduled to spend the rest of the week at Christina's house. While China was on the phone, Sean left to return to work. He was there until the end of his shift at 5. When he came home, he took off his shoes, entered the house, and went to find China since the two were scheduled to attend classes at Indiana Wesleyan University. To his horror, Sean walked into a vicious crime scene. Both China and Blake, who he didn't even expect to be there, were found in the house, dead. Blake had been beaten with a two-by-four, stabbed, strangled, and China had been stabbed repeatedly. Sean placed a frantic 911 call from his son's side at 5.14 p.m., and then, at the dispatcher's instruction, went outside to wait. One of his neighbors told the Courier Journal when they saw Sean outside the house immediately after the call, retching in the yard. When he saw his neighbors, Sean immediately told them China and Blake were dead. Within minutes, police swarmed the scene. This is when Christina arrived. Her mom had not picked up Blake as planned because she was unsure of the family's new address. Remember, they had been in that house less than a month, and it's likely that Christina's mom had never been there before. She tried to reach China that afternoon, but nobody called, answered. And so when China didn't respond, Christina went to her mother's, realized her son wasn't there, and went to the house to get him, only to learn that he had been murdered. Where is my baby? Where is he? She screamed as she pulled up to the house, covered in crime scene tape. It was clear by the amount of blood splattered that the defensive wounds on the victims' bodies that both China and Blake put up a tremendous fight in defense for their lives. Investigators originally suspected that it was a personal attack by someone the victims knew, but Sean was immediately taken in for questioning, and after all, when your wife and kid die, and you know the drill guys is always the husband or father or brother or whatever, the close immediate family. Anyway, he was at work, and there wasn't any way that he was not at work. And if they could have been killed between 1230 and 1, he was actually the last one to see them alive, but he was very cooperative with the police. He submitted an extensive questioning, a polygraph test, which he passed. His co-workers placed him back at work from 1.45 to 5, and everybody that the police interviewed said that Sean's family relationships were thriving. Ultimately, based on these facts, as well as forensic evidence collected from the house, investigators concluded Sean was not a person of interest. Investigators also took a hard look at China's past relationships and other individuals who might have resented the family. China and Sean had formed, but this didn't lead to any viable suspects either. On July 27th, police found a red stained shirt in the Dictus neighborhood and sent it to FBI for DNA analysis. Although 
no further information has been released regarding that analysis. Within a week of the murder, the police had begun to suspect that the homicides might have been a tragic burglary gone wrong. There had been a string of five burglaries within a half-mile radius of the Dickus house during July, including one that occurred the same day as their murders. And it was only four doors down, and you remember there were a lot of empty houses around them, so it's not like anybody would probably hear them. All five burglaries had occurred between eight and five, while the residents were supposedly away at work. Furthermore, in each case, the thieves had entered the home by cutting a telltale T-shaped incision in the screen door. Oddly, evidence suggests that the burglars took their time, raided the fridge for food, ransacked rooms without taking large valuables, but favored instead small objects and trinkets that most would overlook. And like the killer, the burglars were never caught. It's worth mentioning that investigators have intentionally withheld some details from the media as an investigatory tactic in the case. For example, police have never revealed whether there was any signs of forced entry at the Ditka's house or a T-shaped incision or anything else. Nor have they revealed whether any items were missing from the home, where the bodies were located, or whether or not China was sexually assaulted. Which, that's wild because, I mean, that was 2006, it's 2023. One would hope if she was, they keep running that DNA. This is the part, this is in part so they can verify the truthfulness of any future confessions. Yes, that's a concern. Although it might seem counterintuitive, false confessions occur regularly. These confessions may be attributed to coercive interrogation techniques used by law enforcement to psychological and psychiatric disorders. You know, you guys have all heard them. It was just in the Shannon Cheryl case where she said she was Shannon Cheryl. Well, people come and say, I did it. I'm a terrible person, but they don't even know what happened. So keeping some of that to themselves will keep people from admitting to things they didn't do if they don't know the details. This is what happened in the Ditkiss case when an inmate in Florida confessed to murdering China and Blake prior to his incarceration. Detectives flew from, from Indiana to interview him, hopeful that they may finally get the answers, but it became clear rather quickly that he did not possess any of the knowledge of the crime scene except what had been shared on the news. Perfect example. He might be transferred to an Indiana prison. That's why he wanted to leave Florida because Indiana prisons have air conditioning and Florida prisons don't and it's so hot down there. So he'd rather lie and take a murder charge because he's a worthless piece of fuck than just do his time. But false confessions and concealed evidence aside, police have made public their suspicions that the burglaries and the murders may be linked. In fact, in February 2007, they released some additional detail about the items taken in the burglary that occurred four doors down and on the same day, hoping that that information may kick some new leads. The intruders had taken a 1968 class ring, bicentennial coins from 1976, an Eisenhower dollar, a Kennedy half dollar, and curiously, one gallon Tupperware pitcher of lemonade. The fuck? 
Both family and law enforcement have worked hard to ensure that this case does not fall out of public consciousness. On February 27, 2007, Indiana State Police upped the reward for the case for case-solving tips from 1,000 to 10,000, and it was later increased again and currently stands at 25,000. Furthermore, Blake's mom organizes annual memorial services for Blake to both preserve his memory and encourage people with information to come forward. I mean, if you think you know somebody that could kill a 10-year-old, you probably need to let the police know because if they'll kill a little boy, they're bad people all the way around. If Blake had lived, he would have been 27 now. Older than China was when she was killed. Christina admits that it's hard to imagine the adult he might have been. Instead, she cherishes the memory of him as he was. During July of 2010, Indiana State Police and Prison officials released a playing deck. So these are the deck of cards that you hear about that have unsolved cases. And these victims were the Seven of Hearts. Around the same time, Borges, a lead detective on the case, told the Indianapolis Star that they received over 500 leads. This case is not cold. It is solvable. Now, 17 years after the murders, Borg admits that he is shocked that the case has not been solved yet, but still believes it may be. Sean struggled to cope after the loss of his wife and child. He left his job, attempted to launch a business on his own, which ultimately failed. He also got in trouble again with the police for drunken disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. Finally, he decided to return to the structure and support of the military services. However, he says he will never forget China and Blake and the joy they brought him. He, along with many others in their Indiana community, still hold out hope that one day this killer will be caught. Individuals with information on this case are encouraged to call the Franklin Police Department's tip line, 317 317- Three four six one one zero zero. You are listening to Mistresses of Murder. Join us next week. And until we hear you again, see you again, or you hear us again, we will catch you on the flip side.